Welcome to Research Integrity Matters, the podcast where Gauri and Marino discuss research integrity with academic experts from a multidisciplinary perspective. Research Integrity Matters is co-initiated and sponsored by Netherlands Research Integrity Network, and all our episodes can be found on nrin.nl. My name is Marino, and this is the second episode of Research Integrity Matters. Today, we have two guests on the podcast. We are joined by Inge Stegeman and Jeroen Sondervan, both from the University in Utrecht or the University Medical Center. We are honored to speak with them about open science and its relationship to research integrity and how that ties into rewarding and and valuing the academic work that we do. Inge is an associate professor at the University Medical Center Utrecht. She investigates the impact of open science practices on the quality and reproducibility of biomedical research. Due to her combined appointment at a methodological as well as clinical department, she works on the crossroads of clinical and methodological research, which provides her with many opportunities to advocate for all aspects of open science, team science and responsible research. She recently gained a grant of 2 million euro from the European Horizon program to study the effectiveness um, of open science interventions together with a large consortium of many partners is what I understood. And for conflicts of interest statements, Gauri is also on that grant. And then we also have Jeroen. Jeroen is the open access publishing consultant for Utrecht University and has over 15 years of experience with scholarly publishing. He's the Open Access Project Leader for the Utrecht University Open Science Program, was the editor for the Dutch National Platform on Open Access and has published extensively on open access publishing. Dutch Academia has been discussing the topic of recognition and valuation of academic work for years. Inge and Jeroen will talk with us about the evolution of that and how we reward academic work and how this ties into research integrity practices. So... As a starter for the conversation, um, Inge and Jeroen, can you share some more about what it is that you do and and why you actually started working um, on these topics? Inge? First of all, thank you for inviting us for for having this conversation today. Why I started working on these topics, that's basically because I'm a clinical epidemiologist doing research at the Department of Otorhinolaryncology of the UMC Utrecht. And... As a clinical researcher, as doing the research as an epidemiologist on this clinical department, I noticed that the, but having the epidemiology and methodological background, I noticed that many of the open science interventions uh, don't really hit ground uh, in the actual research environment. Uh, While most of the open science interventions and research integrity interventions are obviously um, usually quite Um, well thought of ideas which we should integrate, but I think that the combination of um, clinical research and methodological research and research or open science research is not really there yet. So my involvement in this topic mainly came from the frustrations that frustration that I found that some of the stuff is really not working in practice, in research practice. Jeroen? Yes, also thank you for inviting me for this uh, this podcast. Um, Yeah, so I have as you were saying, um, over 15 years of experience with open access. So um, getting scholarly literature uh, out in the open and and freely available for for everyone, for for the broader public. And um, I have, so I started as a publisher and I saw the struggles that publishers can have to actually change towards such an open uh, system. 
Um, and now I'm working for, let's say, uh, the public uh, good for a, over eight years now. Uh, first, uh, from the university library perspective, uh, so the, uh, what do libraries do or what can they do in order to um, uh, free knowledge, in, basically? Um, and uh, within the open science program context, uh, for me, at least, it was really about uh, so open access to scholarly literature is one thing. But it needs to be contextualized um, with, for instance, the recognition rewards structures. Um, because if we want open access, we, as um, now also the government, the government's ambition is, um, we need to work on uh, the reform of uh, re re uh, the, the recognition rewards structures, for instance. But also, if we talk about, let's say, uh, research integrity or reproducible research, for instance, um, have fair data, fair software, fair coding, which is now really on the agenda for the last five years or so. Um, I think for the near future, they should be connected as well. So that's so. How do you publish reproducible? So not only having the data set as a reproducible data set, but also related to the to the final paper or to preprints or to whatever you have. Um, and I see the open science program really as um yeah the uh let's say the, the the igniter of getting these things together into context open science is not about only getting your paper out or your data out it's really uh the systematic change but that's the Utrecht university perspective um other universities see it differently um but yeah i i really like to 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 work on these sort of um getting these things connected to each other so it makes sense so uh, thanks, Inga and Jeroen, for sharing, you know, that short introduction into the motivations for your, your current research and your viewpoints as well. Uh, I'd like to actually move more into whether you see open science and research integrity as being the same side of the coin. I think you alluded to that already, but could you elaborate a little bit more? Maybe I can invite Inga to kick off. I think it depends on what, what the coin is, right? So for me, as an epidemiologist, uh, the coin would be research quality. So having a qualitative and reliable and therefore reproducible research that can really change things in society. In my case, in biomedical research, that we can really help our patients better by doing the research we're doing. And that then the outcome would then be so the coin, so to say, would be um, a quality of research. and. Um, if we put it in that perspective, then I certainly think that research integrity and open science are definitely two sides of the same coin. And to be honest, I'm not even sure if it's two sides. I think we should just um, um, might want to get away a bit from the whole difference between the two um, fields. I mean, if you look at the two research fields now, we have separate conferences. We attend separate. We write in separate journals. We we, we hardly even, I would say that we, now many not hardly even, but we do not speak with each other enough. So I would say we should leave this, quit this naming stuff and get it into one sort of, I don't know, I would call it quality of research, but you can name it whatever you like. And then, um, and then really combine our efforts to improve research so that it has an, a real societal um, impact. Thanks. I could not agree more with you, uh, Inga. Jeroen, what, what, what are your thoughts on this? I, I fully agree as well. So uh, instead of repeating uh, <laughs> what Inga is saying, uh, I would at least, um, let's say, um, so from um, my, my 
and the work I'm I, I'm I've been doing, so uh, um, getting research out and make it more transparent, um, which I think is a, is a uh, fundamental part of research integrity and and the quality aspect. Um, but uh, if so, I, I was just mentioning reproducible research uh, or publishing reproducible in a reproducible way. Um, which really is uh, in, in your field, um, of course, important, but and can be done. But if you talk to other disciplines, they won't sort of get the connection with reproducible being reproducible, or it is for, for instance, within the humanities, it's 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 a different beast. It's something else. So um, I think we need to have a broad view, and that's why I like your proposition, Inga, to see it as. No, improving quality, research quality. Um, so it can, so other disciplines can really relate to to um, uh, to the all the aspects and the principles of open science. Um, because I see that in Utrecht as well. So it's called open science, which has a STEM, uh, the science, technology, engineering, medicine uh, connotation. Um, and for social sciences and the humanities, you you see that people want to be open and want to practice open, but they somehow don't relate to the, let's say, the, the open science, um, um, yes, the principles, but the drive, maybe, uh, which is really coming from uh, a qualitative research. Um, but how about the quantitative uh, part of research? So it should also really about be about inclusivity of, of all disciplines uh, when we talk about open science or open scholarship or open research. Yeah. Indeed, I think you make a very interesting point about bringing in different disciplines it was uh, my it was my own experience working in research integrity, which I think it predominantly uh, tends to lie with the biomedical field, which is where it really had its birthplace, quote unquote. Uh, that it tends to at times uh, can, without meaning to, uh, indeed alienate uh, the humanities and the social science researchers. So, indeed, how do we actually be more inclusive? I think is a very interesting. Uh, point uh, that you touch on. But if I can just move on to the um, uh, issue of transparency uh, that you raised, Hirun. Um We talked about transparency uh, in open science as a way to improve uh, research quality. Uh, how can you share your point of view in terms of before the whole open science movement arose? Um, do you feel that research was of a poorer quality at that point in time? <laughs> Probably the research itself was as as good as it is now, um, but the verifiability uh, or the reproducibility or the uh, so all these aspects we know that in psychology many research is 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 not reproducible. So make it more visible, I guess, uh, in opening up data and opening up um, uh, scholarly literature, but also the software encoding uh, could enable. Um, had, uh, to make it more transparent so others can can do their own uh, checks and balances um, but it's it so will that lead to higher quality um, I'm I'm not sure I don't know uh, maybe, maybe Inga uh, knows some experience from from her experience as a researcher I'm not a researcher myself I'm in a support staff role um, I speak a lot of researchers also from all disciplines because we cover in Utrecht seven faculties with many, many, many disciplines. Um, but I guess more, at, at least more openness and transparency hopefully will lead to better quality. <laughs> Again? 
I think that the honest answer is that we really don't know. And that's actually why in the introduction you mentioned the OSIRIS project in which we're going to assess the um, effectiveness of open science measures uh, for improving the reproducibility and the quality of science. So that's really what this project is about. So we received money from the European Union to get um, to, to, to really get this topic going. And um, what we want to do is really test open science interventions on their effectiveness, like we would test, um, for example, a therapy for having headaches. So we would, what we are planning on doing is just doing randomized controlled trials in which we um, will um, separate groups of researchers into two groups and then see what the um, effect of an intervention, for example, on data sharing or open peer review or any other open science intervention is on the reproducibility of science. And if you look at the current literature that is around there, then we really just don't know because some of the interventions have been tested, but usually in small samples or in observational studies. Um, and we, we just currently do not know what the real answer is. And I also think that we should be careful with looking at open science as one big thing that is around there. First of all, nobody really agrees on what is open science and what is not open science. I mean, there's all sorts of debates. Again, it's about naming. It's not about the content of it. It's about is this thing, is, for example, recognition and reward an open science thing, or is it not an open science thing? And I think we should be careful with having a debate about what is in and what is out and look at these separate interventions and test them in a rigorous manner and then knowing what the real effect is. Because there's also a danger in some of the interventions we are currently doing. It could also be that some of the interventions are harmful from a quality perspective so that we are doing very transparently and very openly a harmful thing. And we don't know that currently. So, so I think that, that that's where we should can really improve science by testing these interventions. Can you just touching on that point, Inga, uh, on uh, the fact that some of these interventions might actually be even detrimental, so counterproductive? Can you elaborate, uh, maybe with one or two specific examples that you've come across or that you've discussed, um, perhaps in the writing of this uh, grant that you received? Yes. So, so first of all, just to as a disclaimer, we just don't know. But first, studies show, for example, that uh, which that a topic we should uh, elaborate more on is, for example, the whole pre-registration of 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 um, 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 of, of studies. So, the um, what's the name again? Help registered me. reports. The registered reports. Well, that's a very good example. I, as an epidemiologist, would also always say and always tell people that registered re report is the thing we should be doing. Is that that in the future we should first register our proposal, our protocol, and then four years later the uh, uh, paper should be published no matter what the outcome is. That's, that's obviously that's the right thing to do, I was always saying. But now when I look at the first evidence, there's also harms about this. Um, whole um, manner of doing this, like that the quality of the actual research that is then be done is not always as good as we expect. But again, I have to be careful because already by saying this, I'm implying that there is already enough evidence to actually say this. So I'm, I'm, I'm very almost frightened that if 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 this now, if if you hear this now in your podcast listener, then you think, okay, so so registers reports don't work. But then again, I want to emphasize that we do not know, but that there might be harms and that the first 
evidence also show that there might be ups. There's other evidence showing that there are no harms. But the thing is that we should really test that uh, before we uh, are going uh, to continue, uh, before we can say definite answers about this and before we can imply the policies even further than we're doing now. So just to make sure, Inge, research is so scant in this area that you have to come up with theoretical examples. So there is basically nothing in this area on, on the effectiveness on the interventions. As you were mentioning, like I, this would be an example I could think of, but that is purely theoretical and I have no idea whether that actually plays out. There are more examples of studies that are out there, but usually there are studies which are not um, from a well enough quality to give definite answers. Or isolated, right? So only looking at one aspect. Or and, and I want to stress that that is not because these researchers doing re open science research do not uh, do try their best enough, but it's also because we as an open science and research integrity community should, for example, first uh, discuss and debate what the real outcomes are. So for mo in clinical, the funny thing is that I'm also doing clinical research into tinnitus and, and, and hearing interventions. And for that, we all have these core outcome sets developed with COSMIN procedures and stuff like that. And for doing research into research and especially research into open science interventions, we do not already have these core outcome sets. And it's a difficult thing to, to study. So it's, it, it's, it's, it entails lots of debates before we have these outcome measures fixed, but we should do that on forehand because otherwise uh, the studies which there are which are out there now, we, otherwise this is the only way to improve them. We have to do the whole procedure of, of, of knowing what we want to study, have these core outcome sets, and then we can all start doing our observational studies or our randomized control trials. Indeed, I think you touch on yeah uh, a very important point. Uh, Jeroen, you were about to add something? Yeah. And, and therefore, I think your project is really of, of, of great importance um, because had this whole open science, uh, open science is, is for 10, 10 years, or that's, it, it's a longer uh, uh, time, of course, it has a long history, but at least now with all the aspects we are uh, bringing in uh, and all the, the principles we are sort of uh, uh, formulating also in the UNESCO recommendations, for instance, but um, we are in the midst of the uh, storm is maybe a, a negative connotation, but in the midst of of this transition. So and then we need to on a on a high level, like your project will be doing, um, uh, also contextualize eh? and 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 um, see how how that is effective or not. So it, I think it's a really great opportunity to uh, and to have more of these projects, right? Um, yeah. So so Jeroen, in terms of publishing, can you comment? basically on the same issue. So Inge is saying we need more empirical evidence that the interventions we're doing work or some might be harmful, so we should then limit them. Is there uh, evidence in terms of publishing that that helps us in general um, or groups in specific? Yeah, so for, for publishing, um, had the open access movement, um, I not, I'm not really uh, fond of that That title, but um, at least at some point um, uh, it was consolidated, let's say 20 years ago, um, around uh, some decorations and, and, and libraries, but also institutions and funders really pushing the open access uh, to scholarly literature agenda. Um, it's a sort of marking date of 2001, so uh, over 20 years now. Um, but before that, 
we already had, of course, open publishing practices like also preprint archives, like Archive or the SSRN, which is now commercial, by the way. Um, but really coming from the research, the researchers, uh, the, the, the research community. Um, but uh, in 2001, it really started to become um, also policy-driven and also uh, with the aim um, uh, to, to open uh, research, but also question the role of publishers. And I would say the real commercial uh, shareholder value publishing, um, which is a different beast, of course, if you look at other smaller publishers within the humanities or nonprofit or academic-led publishers. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a broad ecosystem, but we have evidence uh, after 20 years of having open access literature uh, of the impact of, of open available uh, literature. So it's being read more widely. Uh, you can have a really large target. You can engage with a really large target group. Um, but we also see evidence that, um, so for instance, if we look at, and that connects to the recognition and rewards structure. So uh, we come from a closed access subscription-based uh, publishing world. We are now transitioning to a full open access publishing world where publishers, and I would say the real commercial publishers, are basically moving their uh, uh, their model, their, their, their subscription model to a open access model paid for, uh, paid per article, article publication charges. And we see an increase of of costs there, um, and, and and that's really an issue. So I'm not talking about a few hundred dollars or euros, but um, yeah, Nature, if you want to publish open access in Nature, it costs you 9,000 euros per article, which is a ridiculous amount of money. Um, so, and but again, there is, um, in terms of impact uh, or the readership, or um, it, 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 there, are, there are many studies uh, to, uh, to, to acknowledge the, the impact of open access. Um, but the downside is that we see that the transition also um, um, gets us into a new situation where, where now, commercial parties are, are basically, um, they change the model, uh, but they still um, own the model. And I think we're now with the open science context, eh, so also, it very much relates to recognitionary awards. Where do you want to publish? Where do I need to publish to find funding, for instance? Or um, the, 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 the more, uh, let's say, the, the set of values of open science. Um, that also really um, brought us to where we are now, um, asking the questions about, do we want to publish everything outside academia? So uh, publishers, so publishers own the research or the research papers, et cetera, et cetera. Or um, can it be commodif uh, commodified? Is that the word? The commodification of research, right? Um, all these sort of new discussions, which were already there, but now really uh, uh, high on the agenda of the institution, the university, but also at the UNL level, um, at the universities of the Netherlands, but also the EU, the European Commission, is really looking into this. Well, well, uh, just for our listeners, we'll talk about um, um, breaking uh, the market power of publishers and the publication system um, in depth with Chris Hartgerink in ah, a later uh, episode. I, I know, Jeroen, that you know uh, Chris as well. Um, so that's why I just wanted to mention that. Um, and you already touched upon, um, of course, our core topic for today, Jeroen, the, the um, rewarding um, and, and recognizing um, all the efforts. Um, and I just thought of... Um, 
situation I experienced with a former colleague when I was um, giving a presentation about doing open science in practice um, at uh, a previous employer. Um, and then I was saying like, we should open up and, and like be transparent, be reproducible, and also trying to relate it to research integrity. And there was one colleague who, who basically um, opposed my arguments by saying, one, do you not trust me? Um, so why do I need to put all of this in the open? Um, my quick response is usually, uh, in God we trust, the rest can show me the data. Um, but um, that, that usually also doesn't help um, somehow in that discussion. But then the second thing was even more interesting. And she said, so what is the personal benefit for me? Because it costs me a lot of extra work. Um, I have to like uh, publish all these things, uh, open it all up. Um, and if it helps either the wider community, but, but uh, that colleague didn't see that so much, or it doesn't help me, then there is zero incentive for me to actually do this. So um, that's the topic I would like to discuss with both you, um, Inge and Jeroen. Um, what are your views on rewarding open science um, practices uh, um, or incentivizing that or um, rewarding, motivating researchers to do that? Maybe uh, Jeroen can kick it off. Uh, yes, but I see Inge very much. Yeah, well, I was kind of frightened by the by the by 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 the the sentence. Uh, what is what is in it for me? Because I think that first of all, I can, uh, if you want me to, and I think that it accounts for Jeroen as well. I can I can I can tell you probably ten points that is in it for the researcher. But I would say that you you should first think what's in it for society because you're doing research for a purpose, and I think that that is obviously. I know we also have careers. We also have to pay our mortgage. We also want to keep our jobs, right? But then again, it's a small question to actually make your research a bit more transparent and put a bit more time and effort in that because it will bring society further. That was So that was the first thing I would want to respond to. I think that that's just the thing we should do. And then coming back at your previous point, what I also thought is that that it's also about taking our and then I will come back to your question I'm really sorry for this but that's that's I think that's an important point it's all about taking your responsibility and that's actually I think an important question that should be noted here so for example with the whole publication thing or with pre-publications um, um, or with with however you want to publicate your results you can put it on your own website if you want to but the thing is that if we as a researcher bring something out there then people read it and they trust it. They trust us for doing the right thing, because it's the same with with buying a house. If the one that advises me about a mortgage says something, I trust that guy or that woman be just because he or she studied for it. And the, the, I would not be able to go through all the details of that. And I think that that the public should be able to trust us for doing the responsible and the reliable thing. And with putting stuff out there without um, having any checks, that might be a good idea, but we might also want to recognize that that takes a very large responsibility on the researcher that apparently at the moment we're not really taking, seeing the low reproducibility rate of at least biomedical research. Um, coming back to your question, I think your question was, what is in it for the researcher, right? Yeah. I would say lots, lots, lots. Because first of all, by making your work transparent, people can find you. So they will 
know who you are and they will want to collaborate with you because you developed all this very nice data set and all these very nice proposals. Um, they want to actually interact with you for what you know. And you, if you are someone that finds it very important how much you publish, then usually for uh, having a data set which is open, people really still, even if you put all the metadata very right, very well in, usually they still need you just because we are curious individuals. We are all researchers. We want to know what you did and why you take these, uh, these very detailed approaches. And so, so people will find you. So it will come back to you. That's, I think, the foremost important thing that is there on an individual level. And, and, and don't, as a researcher, don't underestimate the impact of your work. All, uh, uh, whether it's one, ten, or a hundred, or a million people, um, it's important. And to make it really personal, uh, Inga, you just explained that you are uh, into research on tinnitus. I have tinnitus myself. Um, and I want to know more about it. Uh, uh, so, and, so, and therefore, it makes sense to have research out there uh, available for me. As in, Okay, in this case, I have access uh, uh, via the Utrecht University account. But if I don't have, it would be really helpful for me uh, to to learn more about it um, based on, on on actual research, quality, high quality research. So, um, I, I guess don't don't underestimate as 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 an individual researcher the impact of your work or your team's work, right? Or um, yeah, because I I still hear Naya Marina, you were uh, the response by your colleague is basically so. I'm doing this. It's only for my peers because they they understand it. That's that's really the the. But no, the, the, there is a uh, well-educated um, bunch of people out there, out of university, that can uh, relate to the stuff as well. Okay. Uh, sorry, it's, it's just a side thing. It's just because you mentioned tinnitus. Actually, that's that's definitely the case, and that's what I'm noticing in tinnitus research. For example, there's a very active and very collaborative uh, tinnitus patient association in a very a European group, which is, for example, which is called the Tinnitus Hub, and they are really helping us also with translating our evidence to um, to 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 so that it it's to able to yeah, so that people really understand it, and and so we, they really bring our evidence to to the to society uh, also in in a bit more readable format, and I think that uh, so so I fully agree that that what you're doing as a researcher has impact and you can make the difference between it having a negative impact and a harmful potential harmful impact or it having a very positive impact and bringing this one patient or your whole patient group or society further. So if I can just quickly ask a quick question here, because we talk about now this one colleague uh, that Marino cited as an example, you know, what's in it for me. But I hear that more often in my own research as a research integrity researcher. It does take more time. It is much more tedious on top of the shoulders of researchers who already have increasing demands. Taking this more altruistic viewpoint uh, that um, I as a researcher have a broader contribution, which is a societal contribution, I can see for biomedical research that it's much easier to make that link because you're closer to patient outcomes, you're closer maybe to medical interventions. But how do you see that for broader disciplines? That's the first question. And second, very briefly, how can we change this mindset of researchers? Is it a lack of awareness and what can we do to change that? First of all, to your to your last question, I'm thinking that researchers might researchers might sometimes be a bit too modest. So they 
they underestimate the, the effect that their research can have. And that's basically what Jeroen also just emphasized. I think that sometimes researchers just don't really know, not, not, not out of a very bad intention, but they don't know what the impact of their research can actually be to this one patient or to this patient group. And so I would, I would call for researchers not to be too modest and to really um, 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 embrace what they are doing and be proud of that and to, to, to really take responsibility for that. And then your first question was, I think, how can we make this work for uh, other um, domains except for the biomedical domain, right? Yes, correct. Where you might not immediately see a societal impact in your work. Well, I would basically have the same answer. So, so, so don't underestimate the power of your research. And you might not have this one patient or this one patient group which you're doing the research for, but there's, but, but you're doing it for the broader context of society, and that is that is an important point. And don't be too modest about that. And and then if you're not too modest about that, then you know that there can be actually. Um, negative sides to what you're doing and positive sides. And as long as you keep the quality standards high and each and every domain has its own quality standards, then then at least you can be sure that you are doing the your utmost best of, um, of improving um, 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 whatever topic you're studying in society. And then there's one more thing I would like to say, and that is, you know, this, in this podcast, we are all now very positive about open science, which we are, but it almost sounds like we cannot see the, the difficulties, as Gauri, you just said, researchers are going through to do this with the pressure that's already on them and the difficult difficulties that are already there. And I don't want researchers to listen to this podcast and think like, oh yeah, but there are just these people who think that this is a very easy thing to do. Trust me. It's not an easy thing to do. I struggle. I'm a researcher at an academic medical center on a clinical department with a lot of, of very valuable colleagues. And we also struggle intensely with publicizing data sets. And because, because I'm not a legal person, because I'm not a data, a data person, I don't know how to, to, to correctly do that. It is a struggle. And also getting money for open access publications. That's way more easier now than it was like even one or two years ago. But it can sometimes still be a struggle if you're a researcher having a very small budget. And and it's so it's it's not necessarily easy. But I also think that we should not make it more difficult than it is. The, the, sorry, this is a very long interruption, but the the solution for this is you should collaborate and collaborate in an early phase. So... So, so get this legal team involved, get the data scientist involved, get the statistician involved, the clinician, the epidemiologist, the, 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 the philosopher, the whoever you need to be in, to get involved, the, the, the person from the social sciences who, who knows what you need to know, get everybody involved um, because then it becomes way more easy. We shouldn't sit on our island and, and, and wait for the rest of the world to come to us. We should really collaborate, it makes it easier. There are people with the knowledge you need out there, quite close in your center, I'm quite sure. Jeroen, do you have the same experience um, as Inge just mentioned, like researchers have that like difficulty working through all the steps of opening it up? For you, that's on the publishing side, of course, but do you see the same problems? Yeah, definitely, and uh, I, I think so. Um, and, and even we see, so we have run uh, an open science monitor that was in, in relation to the open science program. Eh? So we did a sort of first benchmark and then a midterm. 
um, uh, survey. Um, and what we see with, at least for open access publishing, for instance, so also considering preprints and, and, uh, and, and, and other stuff. Eh? Um, so not only the scholarly articles. Um, it's really about, so a lot of people engaging with open science, they want it. Eh? So the attitude towards open science is really positive. I want to practice open, openly or open science, um, but the behavior is something else. And there's a huge discrepancy, discrepancy so, um, uh, in, in, in terms of attitude and, and behavior. Um, and I would say also, if you look at recognitionary awards, um, we really should think about how, how not to leave out the early career researchers because they really want to be open. That's even uh, in several studies, like uh, also the Promoveni Network uh, uh, showed, it, showed it. They really want to advance and to to uh, experiment, but then we come to the let's say the traditional system. Uh, they can't because otherwise they will jeopardize their international uh, uh, career, for instance, or or even uh, they struggle with internal processes or whatever. Or just so, I, I would really stress that it's also a generational thing, right? So we are in transition. Uh, but we really need to to help the early careers and to um, to get them up to speed in a safe haven in a safe way. Just to mention in between, Inge, and then we'll we'll jump to you. Um, um, I remember this because I had a publication together with Chris, the the, the colleague I just mentioned, and we tried to publish it with CC zero license. Um, it took us two days of uh, working with the publisher, but the publisher was um, uh, MDPI and they were interested in doing this. Um, but this was a publication on, like, we need to change the entire publication system. So we felt it would like benefit the paper if it would be CC zero. But then afterwards, colleagues were mentioning, but but why are you spending so much time on this? And we were like, yeah, but and to make it in the public domain. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. what is the actual difference between CC uh, BY or CC zero? So CC zero is the public domain, and CC BY requires attribution, but that's it. Um, but CC zero has no legal limits. Um, but in practice, there's almost no difference. So they were just like, why are you working on this for two days? And we were like, yeah, but we are like. Um, uh, we really want to send out a message and it's it's a bit ideology of course like we are both big proponents um but yeah i think that's also the young like um, uh, ecrs the early career researchers we just wanted to make a point but we did spend two days on making a point um i i'm not sure that's possible if you're in your tenure track or if you're up for full professor so i fully agree on that it's a felt effect right so um uh people Feel anxiety uh, to actually, but you know, you you practiced it, um, but um, yeah. So apparently there is because we have see this in in our monitor data, and we know this from from, from the study. So there is a, a, um, a yeah a huge gap between attitude and behavior. That is something we need to take into account. How does it work, and why, uh, and what are the mechanisms, and what should we address, and what should we be living out. Uh, I guess we are now also with the National Recognition Awards uh, project that the, 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 all, the, all the, the, the academic stakeholders are involved in. Um, that's also really part of the, the discussion. So it's not only about working pressure and uh, these aspects, but also, okay, we want open science. Uh, also, it's, it's, in the, uh, it's in our uh, governmental program. Open science will be the norm in the next 10 years or so. 
um, how does that work and how is it going to be uh, effective that everyone feels comfortable uh, uh, with it and in it? One other question for you, Jeroen, when we talked about increasing cost of open access, which you acknowledge as well, is becoming more and more of a burden. Uh, uh, how do you look at that in terms of researchers who's, who have studied and have shown also that these open access costs are having a detrimental effect, especially with researchers in the global south? So when we talk about you know diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, and Inga touched on that not all of the open science practices may be positive. So one example is that we know increasingly that global south researchers may not be able to afford. Yeah, are being left out. Exactly. Yeah. How do you how do you see that, and how do you think we can address that? First of all, there is a raising awareness that, um, and we already discussed this uh, 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 some some half 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 an hour ago, um, that uh, the commercial players are really transferring to a model, and they um, um, are becoming more dominant. Uh, and then also the paper article, uh, just the article publication fee uh, or charge, is 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 really um, becoming a more dominant model, at least for the, let's say, the well-known journals and the well-known publishers. But I would say, um, and it's becoming more and more uh, visible, um, not only because the European Union, for instance, has just uh, recently funded two projects uh, which look at uh, more equitable uh, models, like the Diamond Open Access model, the free-to-read, free-to-publish model uh, for everyone. Uh, and then financing needs to be somehow... Uh, uh, funneled or structured coming from institutions or faculty or funders or or even uh, societies or whatever you have. There are so many models um, to arrange, let's say, the infrastructure uh, and then make it uh, as easy as possible for, for, for the publishing researchers. Um, and I would say uh, we can definitely look at other regions in the world um, where, for instance, uh, in South America, um, it's over 30 years now, they have these diamond uh, open access infrastructures uh, funded by the institutions and governments. Um, so, for instance, Redelec, Amelica, but also Shello, which are uh, publishing platforms, infrastructures um, owned by the community, basically. And uh, so people can publish there. Researchers can publish there for free, um, mainly addressing uh, also the, the language problem. So uh, we have really an Anglo-Saxon focused way of publishing. Uh, um, in those areas, um, the English language is might be an issue. Um, so they publish in their own language and then they need to have something to, of somewhere to, uh, or a place to publish. Um, and they already do it for years and years. So I guess raising the question, do we want to, I think it can be a mixed model, right? So commercial publishers aren't, bad in a in a in a in a uh, uh, but we should think about ownership and control and 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 commercialization these these kinds of aspects in in the near future how do we want to arrange that how do we want to organize that um together and to bring inclusivity and equality into the system it should be for everyone and not only for let's say the northwestern europe european uh, rich countries or uh, yeah 
uh, a burning question that's happening during this very interesting discussion, which unfortunately we have to uh, bring to a close. So we've talked a lot about how there is not enough evidence about the effectiveness of different open science practices. And if we look at the same time at the speed at which rewards and recognition is moving, especially in the Dutch landscape, on wanting to reward open science practices. My question to our two guests today is, are we putting the cart before the horse? In other words, are we actually now going ahead with rewarding and recognizing open science practices without really having the quality evidence on whether it works? What are your thoughts on that? A very good question. <laughs> no, I think uh, we are in a process and also recognition and rewards. Uh, the, the, the things we're talking about is, of course, much wider than only open science. Um, although I think uh, open science, uh, for me, connotates to the entire system. At some point, we are still doing science, but now we do it openly. But it's called science, right? Or scholarship or whatever. Um, and it's really in a sort of, we are in a transition. Uh, so there is a process of, um, with, for instance, open access, we are far ahead. Uh, we are really practicing it. Um, and the majority now, as you uh, can check, uh, so last year, over 82% of, of Dutch research articles, Dutch-based research articles, are open access, coming from universities, right? Um, but for fair data or software encoding, we are really at the start. So um, how do we ensure that people will uh, start to store their data in a fair way? Uh, or, or how do they connect to the research papers, for instance? Um, it's early days. Um, so if we want to incentivize researchers, we need to reward open openness, right? Um, and that should be built into the system. We are currently just working that out. Um, so also in the Utrecht University, as Inge mentioned, had this huge debate on science guide and between old and young researchers. It was ignited because we stated and uh, we want to move away from the impact factor. Uh, so had this really impact-driven excellence uh, uh, um, way of, of you know, uh, publishing. And I guess... Um, at least raising these questions. Uh, it, it led to yeah, many debates, uh, which is good, right? So we can hear many voices and we want to hear also um, the voices, not from the success, only the successful ones, but also the people that are really do hard work and, and do hard science, uh, um, but they are not published in an impact factor journal, so they won't receive any uh, recurring funding, for instance, because they are whatever. So we should really open the discussion uh, in the broadest sense possible. And we are currently in it. Um, so we we need this research uh, by Inge, for instance, and, and these, uh, these things um, to get feedback, right? And validation, uh, or that we can steer in a different way because we need to, because it is proven not to be worthwhile or uh, there's uh, no effect, whatever you have. So I guess, yeah, this is this is a process we are currently in. And I know this is a very diplomatic answer, but um, it is true. <laughs> yes, indeed, Jeroen, that was uh, quite diplomatic, but I'm sure Inge has a more undiplomatic response, so to speak. So Inge, go ahead. 
I think that it, it depends on what you say the outcome is. And if they, as an epidemiologist, I would say it all depends on what you want to measure, right? So if we want to measure transparency, then I think we could include um, 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 open science as a, a re, in our reward system. But I think that if we want to uh, do, uh, want our researchers to do qualitative very highly um, qualitative research, which is reproducible, which has a benefit for society, then I think that open science is just another tool. And that doing open science interventions, whatever you think that 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 is open science, because as I said, there's multiple things. Uh, it, it shouldn't be about the name open science, but it should be about what you're actually doing, um, should not be part of the recognition system, as long as we did it, don't know if it really works for making our um, research more societal and uh, giving it more societal impact and improving the quality. So it really depends on what you want to do. And I think that in general, we should be very careful with, with all these checkboxes, right? So we have another checkbox in our whole recognition and reward system, and that is now called open science. And we should look at what really improves quality, whether that is open science or whether that are other procedures. And I think that that is the thing we should focus on. And, and that therefore we should first collect the evidence on what is the effect on this, on, on, of open science, on, for example, uh, career perspectives of early career individuals. Because as I said earlier, there's a lot of stuff said about that, but we really don't know what the effect is of open science on early career in, uh, researchers or, or on the Dutch uh, research, research environment in an earth, international perspective. And we should be very careful with, with, with saying stuff about that as long as we don't know, but it, because it might be harmful, but there are, the odds are that it might actually have a positive effect on individual careers. And as long as we don't know what the outcomes are, we should be very careful with um, um, putting this in all sorts of policy plans and reward systems, I'd say. I, I like how our conversation ends like a research paper. There's many limitations and there's here's directions for future research. I love it. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> Discussion. Thank you. Totally <laughs> great. Indeed. Thank you, Jeroen and Inge, because we are at the end, unfortunately, um, for um, well sharing your perspectives, um, pointing us into future directions as perhaps also inspiring other academics or uh, listeners to this podcast for doing work in this um, area, given all the the calls for effort and research that Jeroen and Inge um, have also been making. Um, this was Research Integrity Matters with Inge Stegeman and Jeroen Sondervan, hosted by Gauri and Marino and produced by Maarten van Woerkom. We thank Netherlands Research Integrity Network for co-initiating and sponsoring this podcast series. You can follow Research Integrity Matters in your favorite podcast app like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. And with respect to the latter, we'd like to ask you to leave a review and that will help others to discover this podcast as well. Furthermore, we would love to answer some questions from um, our listeners. So if you have any questions for us, then you can find our email addresses or Twitter accounts in the show notes. That's it for this time. Thank you for listening and see you in the next episode.